Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. We are here to help you begin the day with a friendly voice, a companion unobtrusive. Are we? Plays the song that's so elusive and the magic music makes your morning mood, Michael. What are you talking about? I'm just quoting Rush lyrics. Oh, Rush, they're like steel eyed spam, aren't they? But good. Yeah, Michael Barry, he, he likes them. They're seventies thing, aren't they? Prog rock, go on forever. That's not untrue, I suppose. Are they Canadian? They are, in fact, Canadian. Very yes. sneaky of them, isn't it? Being a little bit different, but a little bit. Oh, will speak Canadian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Okay, if you got that out of your system. Now that the fun has passed. Thank God. It's time to become obtrusive. White Jesus, Michael. White Jesus is a problem. White Jesus? Well, white Jesus has been a problem. And for, it's I think. sexual assault, but we'll get to the sexual assault later. No, we want to make it clear from the get-go that, as far as I'm aware anyway, white Jesus has not been implicated in any, in any sexual assaults. But, 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 but. That implies that non-white Jesuses have been involved in sexual assaults, Michael. Which is racist. <laughs> which would be racist, yes. And would imply that there was more than one Jesus. There's a guy called Sean King. I don't know if you're great buddies with him. But Sean King is one of the head dudes in the United States involved in that well-known popular association called Black Lives Matter. Which at the end of the day is just a bit like the, the Boy Scouts, but for grown-ups. I mean, that's, you know, there is no other agenda. Anyway, I think the the listener is probably aware there's been a bit of an issue around these statues, statues and monuments of people. So, for example, the man that defeated the South and was principally re- responsible for the impl- the implementation of the Emancipation Decree and was the man who hounded the Ku Klux Klan, Ulysses S. Grant, he was toppled. Um, Miguel Cervantes, who wrote Don Quixote, who didn't own slaves, but in fact was a slave and wrote about the life of being a slave, he got vandalized. And it, so, you know, you're looking around, you want to change the name of Yale. We are very committed to the idea of changing the name of New York, or more specifically, the name of Cork, Hong Kong, Hong Kong Mark II. So they're looking for other targets, and you know what? To be fair, it's reasonable. There are more statues of Jesus than anybody else around the gaff. It's between plain statues of Jesus, crucifixes, sacred hearts, whatever you're into. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of them around. And Sean has said that they are gross forms of white supremacy. Do you know what Sean's nickname is, by the way? Good fun time. Jolly chap. There were, uh, Sean is, is very, very light-skinned. So the joke has been for years that Sean is in fact a white guy who's just somehow managed to get to the top of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so because of that, his nickname is Talcum X. <laughs> really? Yes. Not by his friends. No, no, I can't imagine that that would be considered to be a friendly act. Anyway, <laughs> Mr. King has 
observed that if your religion requires Jesus to be blonde-haired, uh, blue-eyed Jesus, then your religion is not Christianity, but white supremacy. In the Bible, the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in. Guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark. Tear them down. Um, he says somewhere else about uh, in the when you see statues of of white Jesus and his European mother. You know, the, the, this use of racial epithets, Gary, is not very nice. But apparently it's okay when it's shown. Um, Christian whiteness needs white Jesus. It's about whiteness itself. Attack white Jesus and attack her. Um, they use the word white a lot, don't they? And whiteness. Of course, whiteness is a virus. Whiteness is a disease. Whiteness is something you can't, you can't be redeemed from, unlike uh, life. Unlike Jesus. Jesus says you can be. But it's not just statues, Gar. It's no, no. It's also, which is rather more, it's, it's, yeah, even more worrying, I suppose, because they're more fragile. Windows. Stained glass windows. Have to come down. I'm sure there's a white fragility joke somewhere in there. It would be all very fine, except, yeah, obviously, for people in the United States who might be concerned that their churches and the statutory around their churches and the windows of their churches might now be the object of violence. But given that we seem to have the ability here when the Americans... Sneeze that we inevitably catch some kind of novel coronavirus flu. That will it? We will see. We will see. We'll have to. But we really have. Also, it's just so. It's every culture. If you go to Ethiopia, you will notice that Ethiopian Jesus looks very like Ethiopians, and each Ethiopian Mary looks very like. Ethiopians. You go to Korea, you'll find Korean Jesus. You go to Japan, you'll find Japanese Jesus. You go to Tamil Nedu, you'll find Tamil Jesus. Is it therefore so horrendously surprising that Europeans have European? Now they always say about blonde. I don't think of Jesus as blonde. I always think of more red hair, reddy browny hair. In my memory of his depictions in the art of the churches around here. Anyway, certainly, he doesn't look like what you imagine a rabbi in the first century AD in the Eastern Mediterranean would have looked like. But then again, what? We don't know. You know, it's a culturally diverse, ethnically diverse world. First century Mediterranean? Who knows? Maybe could have been Polish, could have been Latvian, whatever. But the notion that this is in some, that because Europeans have this, that this is some kind of active aggression, just silly. No, that there are that there may be people who think, oh, that's what that Jesus had blue eyes and, and blonde hair. There may well be. I don't know. There are people who are stupid enough to believe what Black Black Lives Matters says when when they're going to take down the patriarchy, dis, disrupt the nuclear family, and destroy capitalism, Gary. Did you know that? They're going to destroy capitalism? Yes, I've read their manifesto. And you know what, Michael? I I remember thinking, getting rid of the nuclear family. 
that would be good for black people, based on what we've seen since the 60s. Yeah, yeah, that has worked out really well. Maybe the problem is they haven't committed to it enough. Just, 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 I mean, Moynihan publishes the study of the, 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 the crisis of the, was it the, the crisis of the Negro family at a point where illegitimacy, rate, illegitimacy rates are 25%, you know, and whatever number of years later. It's not 25% anymore, it's more like 75%. In certain, certainly in certain socioeconomic groupings and in certain and in certain areas, you're looking at uh, in deprived urban areas, rates of up to 88% of families where it's, the household has been led by a single woman. This has not been a great success. This experiment with the disruption of the nuclear family has not been a great success. And by the way, not just... This is a pattern which has nothing to do with race. It's been repeated all over the Western world with um, those with the communities that are at the bottom of the pile economically. We've seen it in Ireland long before we were this. I think we were a diverse nation. The most deprived people, you saw this domestic breakdown, you saw the breakdown of the family, you saw absolute the absence of fathers, and the consequences that that has, particularly for for boys. Boys raised without fathers don't tend to do brilliantly well and tend to produce more boys that don't do well. This is, and in fact, we've seen, if you like, uh, poor whites in the process of catching up in family breakdown in the United States, and that's not good news for them. Yeah, the just the that is uh, the most famous. <laughs> I wonder what the you know there is a there there is a statue of Christ and the, the Pietà in the Vatican, which is quite famous, and quite valuable, and quite precious. I wonder are they going to start? Uh, Will there be extra security from now on in the in those churches around Italy, where they have statues, bits of statuary made. Bellini or Bernini or, or Michelangelo or whoever because you don't want a guy coming in with a sledgehammer in the name of uh, liberation and taking you down. How about Christ the Redeemer? You know, in is it Rio? Rio, yes. I mean, he very come down? tall. Very tall. Actually, there was a survey carried out and uh, it was a thousand people using Mechanical Turk which is basically a website that you can go on to and you can get people to do tedious or odd jobs. Skews very young, very male, college-educated kind of group. Yeah. Uh, so the subject, the survey is not in any way representative, but it was very funny. Because it asked what people were willing to do to make America a less racist country. And one of them was to... Uh, respectfully remove the monument to four white male presidents at Mount Rushmore. All right, of course, yes. So, would you like to guess what number of very liberal people in this demographic said that that should be done? Now, again, these are young male. These would be the most liberal cohort of America. So it's not representative to America. But for that cohort of college-educated young white people. An actual figure. Mm Mm-hmm. So there would be, that would 
I have no idea how busy the site is, so I don't know, 150. No, no, as a, as a percentage. As a percentage. Of a per- oh, gosh. Well, I suppose I could have turned that into a percentage, but still. 25%? Uh, amongst very liberal respondents, it was 58%. It's going to be a lot of work there, you would have thought, if you're not using explosives. My personal favourite was... Um, Begin changing the layout of our cities, towns, and highways, moving away from the grid system to fo- follow the more natural trails originally used by native people. Twenty-seven percent. Twenty-seven percent said they'd support that. <laughs> Surveys can be very fun, even if there's no like wider validity to them. Our value or use? Ah, oh, yeah, but they can just be quite fun. Oh, that's brilliant. Yes, the, the, the pathways use. I'd love... Can you imagine reimagining Manhattan on that basis? <laughs> most densely populated, one of the most densely populated slices of uh, Earth in the world, and you're going to reimagine on the basis of the trails made by the... Native people, and maybe by the bunny rabbits and the deer. 41% of very uh, very liberal respondents approved of changing America's name. Any suggestions to what we should change it? No, it just said to uh, to rename the uh, to rename the country. That better reflects the contributions of Native Americans and our diversity as a people. Do you really want to sort of put slavery in the name of the state? I mean, that's how the vast majority of African Americans get to the United States. Fifty-nine percent said that they would support gradually replacing older public buildings with new structures that don't perpetuate a Eurocentric order. I don't know what that means. Build, baby, build. That one I can kind of get behind. Build in a non-Eurocentric way. What's particularly Eurocentric about? I mean, rooms in China have four walls as well, you know. You've got the decorations. But you don't get many Corinthian columns, though. But you get columns and you get decoration column, decorative columns. And, and yeah. So we should rebuild and maybe, maybe instead of having skyscrapers, because that is very European, the ability to build... Very phallic, too. Well, I didn't like to say, but yes. But it's you know, this ability to use, uh, to go up that high involves things like new technologies in steel and in cement and things like that and concrete. And they're very specific to Europeans. So maybe we should build, instead of those, we should have pyramids. Because you get pyramids everywhere. You get pyramids in... Central America, you get pyramids. I, Africa. Well, I think I think Washington would be greatly improved by the the addition of an Aztec style pyramid. A really big around. one, though. Oh, really, really big complete one. with the ritual sacrifice. Do you know what? Instead of the White House, the White House is a very European building, classical style building. For those listeners, maybe curious, maybe interested to know that it is believed the White House, the design of the White House, was based on. Or a copy of the Leinster House, the House of the Dukes of Leinster, which of course today is, of course, 
the site of the parliament in Ireland, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, massive big fuck off sticker out right in Washington. And that's, can you imagine Donald Trump coming out the top of it? Tearing out someone's heart. Yeah, 4th of July. Go over the border, kidnap some Canadians. Bring them down to sacrifice them. But that's not what Jesus would do, Gary, and that's what we need to remember. Because it's his statues that are being attacked, and we're against. What would Jesus do? Um, Very well to say that's not what Jesus would do, but what would Jesus do, Michael? I, I, I think maybe we should leave that to Jesus. And if you'd like to get back to us by text or uh, email, we will be happy to send that message out. Hmm. I can be reached at gary at gripped.ie. So we were talking there about surveys that had no wider validity, but that people are spread around either because they think they display something or because they think they're funny or useful in some way. And that brings us on gracefully yeah and with tact michael <laughs> always with the level of tact we are we are known to have to a new survey that came out there uh yesterday i believe possibly the day before and this is the sexual experiences survey 2020 sexual violence and harassment experiences in a national survey of higher education institutions Done with the uh, Union of Students in Ireland and NUI Galway, one of the departments in there. Now, I will start this by saying that I have written to a number of these people asking for the questions and the data, because it's not actually in the report they've put out. Uh, Whatever about the data not including the questions does not make me comfortable with the validity of their findings. Because if you're going to bias a survey, it's going to be in the questions. Now, you may have, you, you listener, may have heard of this survey. Um, you may have heard people saying recently that uh, new research shows that three in every ten Irish college students will be raped or something very close to raped. Which, I will be blunt, is a figure I don't believe. Well, it's, it's to be clear, I, I think the figure was one out of every three female. You're right, sorry, Michael, Students. We, we should be careful about that. One in every three female, 28% of non-binary students, and 10% of male. And that's not rape, but rather non-consensual penetration by incapacitation, force, or threat of force. Now, first, I will make this point. A lot of the research talks about non-binary students and... The percentage of those students who've had various things happen to them. The total response rate in this survey for non-binary students was 42. Which is to say there is no statistically significant work that you can draw from a sample size of that. So I'm just going to put that to the side. Because nothing okay. they said about it is, um, is something you can stand over. Now the other thing I would say is this. Acts of coercion are one thing. Incapacitation is one thing, and force or threat of force is another thing. So when you actually look into it, force or threat of force, what most people would consider when they consider rape, is only a relatively small percentage of those figures. But whatever about that, we'll start from the top here, Michael. Yeah, let's get to the... The meat of the problem. So, 
the survey was based on American surveys, um, which we've kind of seen give roughly the same response rates of, of 3 in 10, that kind of region. However, those surveys have been heavily critiqued for a number of things. <clears throat> the most immediately uh, applicable, and the reason why I'd like to see the questions, is that they don't ask people where you ripped. They ask people to describe a series of actions. So, um, did someone ever touch you without consent? Things like that. They do that because they give a higher response rate. But the problem people have had with that is that they can code in behaviours that people effective don't see as sexual assault as sexual assault. So, for instance, if you're in a long-term relationship and you have ever slept with a partner, when you didn't, I mean, you weren't opposed to sleeping with that partner, but you slept with them out of a sense of obligation uh, or just as a way of maintaining the relationship or not having a fight. Yeah. Which is, I think then some of the American surveys will put that down as rape by coercion, which I don't think most people would say it is. Similarly, when we go on to... Rape by social embarrassment. Similarly, when we go on to incapacitation, which is the largest single category under which these, uh, these activities are said to have happened, well, that becomes quite difficult because there's a couple of things to look at there. One is... Does rape by incapacitation mean someone was drugged? No, not necessarily. It just means that someone was... uh, Stortious. Well, not even that, because some of these survey results have... No, I I haven't seen this one, so I I don't know. They have quantified incapacitation as any amount of alcohol consumed. Yeah, sometimes what they do is they will put it at the amount of alcohol that... I don't know if they do that in this case, but I know sometimes they use the amount of alcohol that you would need to have consumed no longer to be allowed to drive because you have now suffered. That is enough to obviously, it's a legal standard for impairment. But most people, if that was the standard, then that would, most people would not regard that as being really incapacitated. And different people will have a different understanding of incapacitated anyway, but. It would be cure. It would be it would be good to know what that meant here in this context. Like I think most lay people reading that will think, "Oh, that sounds like they're they're basically passed out." You know, they're par- literally paralytic drunk. So the the definition they use of incapacitation is taking advantage of the respondent when they were too drunk or otherwise intoxicated to know what was happening, which would seem by the definition not to include that. But I've seen definitions like that used in other surveys that did say any amount of alcohol uh, removed your ability to consent. And therefore, what they're looking at is not instances in which someone tried to have sex with someone and that person said no, and sex occurred anyway. They're going from an active consent standpoint and saying that it is uh, a non-consensual penetration if you didn't actively consent. And in other surveys, they'll say you can't actually actively consent if you have drank at all, which, yeah. particularly among Colin students, jacks the uh, numbers up. Now, the real problem with this survey is the response rate. So, okay. they got about 6,000 responses. 
about two to one uh, women to men. Now, mm-hmm. if you have a sample of the population and you can poll 6,000 of them and the population is homogeneous, that is to say they are roughly the same on the issues you're polling on, you will get a very accurate response. Anything above a 1,000 is kind of the standard for statistical mm. significance in these things. The problem is, is that although they got 6,000, they got a response rate of only about 4%. And this is, this is the problem here. If you put out a survey of, on sexual assault and sexual behavior, people who are sexually assaulted or know people who are sexually assaulted are far more likely to complete that survey than those who haven't been uh, sexually assaulted and don't know those who have been sexually assaulted. In the same way, if you put out a survey on, let's say, the general opinion of the student body to the GAR, right. you'll get people who love the GAR and who hate the GAR to take part. But until you have a large response base, you're not getting the actual student body. You're getting people who love or hate the GAR. You're getting people who are predisposed to take a survey like that because of their feelings towards the item in question. So by getting a 4% response rate, it's highly likely they picked up way, way more people who were sexually assaulted than you would get where they diluted effectively by the rest of the populace. And I don't believe that these people believe the statistics they're saying. I don't I don't believe in USI or NUI Galway think that three in ten women in universities are raped. And this might be unfair, but I base this largely upon not not why I don't believe the statistics, but how I why I think they don't believe the statistics is their response to it. They have a section of the report where they talk about what you know the report recommends should happen. And they are all very staid, shall we say, yeah. things. I mean, it's basically saying, you know, we need a consent framework. We need uh, universities to engage. We need um, sexual violence training. And we need more surveys. No, sorry, Gary. Can I just read a sentence here? Bland sentence. The research by the Union of Students in Ireland and active consent research team at NUI Galway found that 30%, almost 30% of female students in higher education have been raped. Gary, the response to that kind of figure is, first of all, you close down the universities and you bring in the army. 30%. One in three mm-hmm. women attending university in Ireland are being raped. That is a figure so horrific that it would suggest that there was there would have there's collusion, there's planning. That it's that is a, a, that's an apocalyptic number, Gary. Frankly, and the response to that, if you really believe that was happening, I would say genuinely. Not ironically, I would close them down because they are absolutely not safe places. I mean, if you're talking about a, a, a response, sexual assault rate of one in ten for men, that would be bad enough to close the gaff down. That is not safe. 
here's the thing. We can compare that to other countries. And this is exactly the, the critique that's been brought up in America. If those numbers are right, they are comparable to nothing else in the world. So South Africa, for instance, is considered the country in which you are most likely to be raped. Uh-huh. Um, at the minute. Now, and it has a quite broad definition of rape that includes oral, anal, and vaginal penetration. Um, which is a good bit broader than we have. They have a rape rate of 72 per 100,000, which is less than 1%. Significantly less than 1% per year. Wartime Congo, during a period when it was considered the capital of rape uh, of women and babies. Yes. Um, and they were actively using rape as a weapon of war to break down uh, opposition of both women and men. Horrendous. It got bad enough that the researchers in the Congo started breaking down rape into different types of rape, as in what was the purpose of that rape. Yeah. Uh, And quite detailed subdivision because they were using rape in so many different ways. Got absolutely nowhere near those numbers. If you legitimately believe that those were the rape rates in an Irish university and that Irish universities have a higher figure of rape than the Congo during its civil war, a recommendation and a report would not be what you wanted done. No. Those numbers, the closest parallel that you could find in modern life, in modern times, to those numbers would be in the... in the in Berlin and in German cities in the immediate aftermath of the war, uh, where we know the Red Army was responsible for an incredible amount of sexual violence against women, and which also brought concomitantly tens of thousands of suicides and deaths. So, uh, yes, I think the, the the point you make is not so much that we don't believe that these figures, but they plainly do not believe them. Or if they do believe them, their response is wholly, wholly inappropriate to the gravity of this, this, this statistics. But they present them. But they not only present them, but they get them picked up uh, and talked about. And just to, just to, for, to point out here, because uh, people go, well, what's, what's the issue here? Surely this is a really important issue. And attention needs to be brought to. And obviously, rape and sexual assault is a very important issue. But I've always... That's the, the common defence of people when people bring up issues with these kind of stories of isn't it an important issue and shouldn't we be talking about it? And the sort of undertone there is that it's so important that we shouldn't worry about getting the research right on it. Well, surely if it's that important, and I think it is, we should have the highest standards of research in this area so that we can stand over these figures. I mean, if people believe these figures and someone comes out and says, well, only 2.7% of Irish women are raped in university, or sorry, 27%, and people go, oh, that's a great reduction. The figures are nonsense. Any actual real-world reduction, or, I mean, the Irish, the actual Irish rape rate could increase multiple times, multiple times, and it would still be an improvement over what this survey says. So if we were to take this as actually binding, 
we could see a threefold increase in rape and tell ourselves it's still falling. It's nonsensical. Yeah, but mm, not always to be putting hats on and rooting out conspiracies where there are none. You could be led to ask, well, since the figures are on the face of them incredible, but the reporting does not in any way suggest that in the manner in which they're presented doesn't suggest that. Is there another agenda at work regarding here? No, it seems to be what obviously is a sense to to create a sense that there is a a crisis to create some kind of a sense of a moral panic. Um, to continue with a, a is it to continue with the shall we say the regularization and the politicization? of sexual relations between students and universities so that we end up with the same kind of situation we see, say, in the elite universities in the United States. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's difficult to tell. There are some odd things about this survey, though. I mean, they accept in it that the, the methods they've, they've used will lead to higher results than other methods. Then they say that they had planned to carry it out in certain universities, but didn't because those universities had set up uh, consent workshops. Okay, fair enough. Why wouldn't you still poll them? Yeah, exactly. I don't see that... Surely that would be interesting, if nothing else, to see if you got a, a different result from those universities which would be indicative well that these courses were working you see i can think of a reason why you wouldn't survey them but i can't think what 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 is that? well it, it assumes a degree of bad faith so i'm not going to say this is what i think happened but it is a reason i could see not to conduct the surveys so they might say well the consent classes are only put in place we couldn't see the impact of them and you'd say well uh, yes but you could establish a baseline and you say you yes. want to do this yearly, which means you can then go back next year and you can see the impact of mm-hmm. these classes. And I suspect they know that the impact of those classes would be zero. But then they could say, well, let's do more classes, bigger, bigger classes, better classes, longer classes. And each year they would do more and more and their numbers would change. Not at all. The thing that made me initially suspicious of this report is the way they were talking about um, queer students and gay students and non-binary students. Because while a very large amount of the um, of the study was bisexual or gay, when you look at non-binary, as I said, was 42, gender non-conforming was 21, there were 11 transgender students. Right. So for them to then start making pronouncements about, well, this percentage of this group was um, was impacted to this degree, they would know that those numbers were meaningless. It's simply too small of a sample size to actually yeah. pull any reliable data. But they didn't tell people that. And they instead made pronouncements against it. Now, also, the, the rate of, um, shall we say, LGBT students is... 27%. Really? 26.1. Of students in Irish universities? Mm-hmm. 13.7. Well, this is the... NRG or BRT? No. 
26.1% of the students who filled out this form. Well, that's the same. Now, there was also one thing which... It doesn't directly reduce the value of the results, but it's a colossal fuck-up, and mm-hmm. it makes me doubt their technical ability. And it's this. When you go into the report, it has a note that says, as a result of a technical error in the online survey at the early stages of recruitment, those who did not report participating in any sexual behaviours were unable to access the full survey. This was corrected on detection. Now, Michael, if you were to put together a survey of sexual um, attitudes and code it so that those who were going to say they had no sexual experiences couldn't complete it, that would be an issue. It'll skew. That would, in fact, be the sort of issue that even if it only impacted on a small amount of students, there would be a strong argument to stop the survey, fix the issue, and reopen it. Mm-hmm. Not while it's live, change it. So there are, yeah, so 6,000 respondents. There are 225,000 college students. They haven't released their data and they. And they could anonymize their data, so there's no privacy or data control concerns with it. So, but can we just just rewind back there for a second, because I'm curious about this. You say that the numbers as presented, the 20, what, 7%, 6% of the respondents were LGB or T. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to just do a gross headline on the survey, the survey would suggest that twenty six percent of, on the basis of the way the rest of the report is, is 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 done, the report would say that twenty six percent of Irish students are LGBT. But one in four Irish students were um, queer. Should we say? Well, I don't doubt that, but whether or not they're LGBT, I, I'm doing the numbers in my head here, Gary, and I'm not getting to. to I'm not getting to, I, I'm not getting to 25, but I am considering maybe going back as a mature student. That includes 4.5% who code themselves as asexual. Asexual? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not queer. That's very queer indeed. Mm-hmm. No, they won't do well in the George. Yeah, I'm not sure if they'd go to the George. Disability, 14.7% had a disability. I'm not sure how that relates to the general in the um in the population i'm also not sure how they define disability if it includes things like adhd um depression anxiety disorders yeah i could see that happening hay fever Mm. this time of year horrible as i said i'm hoping that they'll send over their data and i'll have a look at it but they're openly basing it on american sources that we know are problematic they have an incredibly low response rate, four point three percent response rate. Now they did get eight point six percent of students in the um, the fourteen uni- uh, affiliated, what are called uh, HEIs, higher education institutions. So that includes universities and uh, Institute of Technology and <clears throat> Institutes of Further Education and Training. They did get eight percent of those to open the survey. And then that went down to 4.3 by the time they finished the survey. Now, they that 4.3, that, that didn't fill out 100% of the survey. That filled out at least 80% of the survey. Okay. 
still 4.3% response rate. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, they say that, that that could be because of the length of time it took to complete the survey. They said the median time to complete was 28.2 minutes. But I would have to see the questions because you could have an issue with the questions themselves and the way they present things. So you could also have seen a dropout of students who were not, um, had not been sexually assaulted there. Yeah, and if it's a half an hour, I know that there is an experience that people will start these things and say, oh, it's only half an hour. And then halfway through say, oh, God, I'm bored by this. Just stop. I mean, I whatever about the survey, because I'm familiar with these kind of surveys from America and they don't really surprise me. People have been saying they're bad for years, but they still keep going. And people have been pointing out that no one acts as if they're true and they still keep going. So whatever yeah. about that. But this survey was credulously reported in a number <clears throat> of places from RTE to the Irish Times. Like scripture. I mean, the Irish Times did an editorial on it, and um, it would not have been difficult to Google these surveys and to see that there were methodological concerns with them, deep methodological concerns with them, uh, based on questions, definitions, uh, and the sample. I would be surprised to learn, in fact, I'd be surprised and a little bit worried to learn, that anybody in the Irish Times writing this needed to Google to discover that, Gary. I think that they must have been fairly plainly well aware. I mean, on just the, the headline figures of the response rate themselves will make you, will give you tremendous... Now, on, on something else that I think is actually worth pointing out, but is more of a matter of opinion than anything else based on what we have at the minute. So when you look at the what they call perpetrator tactics, which is acts of coercion, incapacitation, force or threat of force. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you look at um, at the female, thirty nine point one percent said that the un the non consensual penetration happened due to an act of coercion. Now, as we said, in America, we've seen that be everything from uh, someone saying they'll break up with you if you don't have sex to you having sex with someone where you didn't enthusiastically enthusiastically and actively consent, but did it out of a sense Mm -hmm. of obligation Mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, This is not someone saying, sleep with me or I'll destroy your life. Although it does include those people in it, but there's no breakdown, so we've no idea to what degree it's serious. Incapacitation, which again, I've seen some of the American surveys put as any amount of alcohol or drug use. 40.7%. Right. We have a very small percent, about a quarter, where they say there was force or the threat of force. And I'd have to see their survey questions to see how they asked people about the threat of force. Because there is enunciated threat of force, where someone makes a threat or mm-hmm. is holding a weapon, and there are perceived threats of force. Or implicit. Yeah. Now, still an important thing that shouldn't happen, but very much different from saying that someone actually used actively the threat of violence against you. So even on the numbers they have, 
they can then be further broken down and there's problems pretty much at every stage of it. It's a very serious subject and it doesn't do the subject any favours to do this and call this research. No, I mean, then you have like the Irish Times editorial on this was called The Irish Times View on Sexual Violence, A Culture of Impunity. We like to think attitudes are changing, but evidence tells us there is a long way to go. Well, I mean, as I said, you could have a report come out tomorrow that shows that Ireland's normal rape rate has doubled. But if we're taking this kind of survey as the baseline, it would in fact have improved substantially. Right. It is... It's been treated far too credulously by people who should know better. And it's not going to help anyone either. People who do know better, I think, Gary. Indeed. I mean, the Irish Times, when they're talking about it, say that um, the numbers are stark and says it implies large-scale hidden violence, pointing to the urgency of national efforts to eradicate it. More law. Mm. Better law. They also say institutions that have pioneered consent classes, for example, have reported their ample benefits. Have they, though? Well, let's have a look at that. Throw us out the old figure there. Well, I don't know what the figure is, because they don't give it. No, I know, they don't. But, Gary, the number of things that people don't... Nobody... Not... Not in this case, but I, I, I have a conversation recently with some friends who work in the social social work services here in Ireland, and they went through I don't know I don't half a dozen different programs which involve interventions with teenage boys and activities and whatever. They described the cost, which was far far higher than I thought it was. And I asked, was there any evidence that these activities did anything to remediate the problem or to produce better outcomes that would have had would have occurred in their absence? And the answer was no. And this is true all over the place. There, are, we we don't know. Nobody bothers to go back and actually find out. Particularly when the risk is that the que- if you ask the question correctly and you frame it correctly and you do the research correctly, that you're going to find out that the answer is not the answer you necessarily wanted to get in the first place. But no, we don't go back and ask. And we need to. We need to do that far more. And we need to do it accurately and carefully. I mean, there is also something the Irish... This is the very last line of the Irish Times editorial. Um, and it's this, Michael. Finally, the law must catch up with society's sense of revulsion by reorienting a court system that for too long has done more to re-traumatise victims than to hold their abusers accountable. Yeah, I think that's a very dangerous... Yeah, dangerous was what I was going to go for as well, because if the listener isn't aware of some of the proposed changes here, I mean, I have seen educated people actively argue for the suspension of the idea of innocent until proven guilty. I have seen them argue for the removal of the right to face your accuser in court, arguing it would be too traumatising. 
I have seen situations where people are talking about things like rape shield laws, which is basically a well-intentioned law. You see it in, in, in America primarily, where you cannot bring up someone's previous sexual behavior if they, um, if they make a charge of rape against you. And people say that that is fair because it stops defence, um, defence, um, exploiting, the yeah, sorry, yeah. exploiting or going after people for previous uh, consensual yeah. sexual activities. There have also been cases in America in which rape shield laws have stopped the defence bringing up that the person in question had brought up previous fulp rape, fulp rape, fulp, false fulp. rape charges against someone else. Charges that had been shown to be quantifiably false. Yeah. There is an immense... The courts are imperfect, and there can obviously be more done to protect victims from the impact of going to them. I would very much like to know exactly what the Irish Times means like that, because some of the ideas that are being put forward are absolutely dangerous to the idea but, of a fair trial. But the very... I, I go back and I say just in principle, irrespective of what they're... Proposals might be this is and a dangerous nonsense when to say that the courts should match society's revulsion. We all know that society again and again is ill-informed or misinformed about a whole range of things. If you ask them, we know, for example, not to, to this, but for people's sense of risk is always either. Far too high or far too low, depending on the context. But generally, they think things are much more risky than they actually are. I'd be curious, for example, to ask the Irish Times, should the courts match Irish people's revulsion of people involved in in sexual crimes against children? Where it seems to me that there's polling out there to suggest at different times that the Irish people would have supported the introduction of, the, of uh, capital punishment for people involving sexual crimes, particularly sexual crimes leading to the death of a child. Would the Irish Times be in favour of that? I suspect not, because that kind that's not the revulsion it's looking for. But you, don't, you absolutely don't. They're saying, I mean, I don't want to be too gross about it, but society's revulsion is another way of saying the emotions being experienced by the demos at any one period of at any one particular moment in time. Now it's all very well, and we should feel revulsion against crime, sexual crimes, and crimes of violence against women, and against children, and against men. We should not abandon the principle. For example, you've seen the proposals, Gary, to change the evidentiary rules. That in these cases, so that the the burdens of not not just the presumption of innocence, but the burden of proof, substantially changes. Mm. The rights to very a basic principle is the right to face the accuser and to cross examine the accuser. And very serious people are suggesting that you should not be able to cross examine a complainant in a rape case, and that seems to me to be. I think there may be ways that you can carry this out that are more sensitive and well, just, just less likely to be just on that hurtful. One, because a lot of these people are saying things like, well, there should be a pre-recorded video 
instead of that person, the, the, the alleged victim, having to come into the court and face their, their alleged accuser. The One of the problems there, actually, is that the research that's been done on this shows that if you do that, if you use video link, because there is a delay, uh, that person isn't there and you can't see them, and it's more difficult to cross-examine them, juries trust what they say less. They're perceived as being less credible. So it would be a step that you could easily implement in an attempt to protect victims that would instead drive down the conviction rate. And rape is already very hard to get a conviction on because most rapes, um, to put this delicately, and you can actually see it in, in this survey to some degree, most rapes are not someone being pulled into a bush on the street. Most rapes are people who you know, who you are an acquaintance like with a, or a friend. Like a lot of crime. It's well, yeah. In, many, many crimes tend to be people that you murder, have some kind of relationship. Murderers generally murder people that they know. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. But a lot of the time, it's just someone's word against each other. Yeah. And a lot of the time, everyone has been drinking. Everyone. So you can very easily have a situation in which uh, the accuser believes they absolutely did not con- get consent or give consent, and the accused absolutely believes that they got consent because both were just hammered. So it's already an incredibly messy case, largely with no evidence in a lot of these cases. If someone accuses you of rape and you say, yeah, we had sex, but it was consensual, well... There's only so much you can do about that other than basically try and put forward a case that you are trustworthy enough that you should be believed. So I don't think adding new and additional... Barring, yeah, witness evidence or others. And reversing reversing the burden of proof is a horrific idea. Yes, you would get, you'd get a way higher conviction rate, I'll give you that. Well, at that point, I mean, this and this I'm sure to people who have been victims of... Sexual violence might seem like a fairly arcane and indulgent point, but the question is, what is the purpose of a jury trial? Is the the purpose of a jury trial, is it to secure a conviction or is it a process for discovering the truth? Historically, lawyers and jurisprudence, uh, people, jurisprudencers, lawyers would have said the purpose of a a trial is 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 to discover the truth. Now, if we want to change that in our tradition, then we should be honest and say, well, no, we're no longer, that's not what we're looking for. We are actually, this is a business now, and the business is getting convictions. And we hope that that will involve the great majority of the time getting the truth also. But, you know, if not, that's okay. The principle, the old principle, but the old principle, which was also a new principle at the time, at the time of the Enlightenment, that it is better that one that that a hundred guilty men go free than one innocent man suffer, that no longer seems to be the fashionable idea. That seems to have gone out with the tide. Anyway, we shall see. Uh, I mean, just on just before we close, we were talking about revulsion earlier and how it has no real place in a court until the actual sentencing, and that should be yeah. based on 
not society's revulsion, but a genuine revulsion with the crime itself. There is a place, I think, for a revulsion in the legislature. If you want rapists to be punished more severely, don't interfere with trials. Change the legislation so that if they are found guilty, the punishments are more severe. But let the trial be an unbiased determination of whether or not they are guilty. That's just. To bias the trial itself is rampantly unjust and will most likely lead to a situation in which that is corrected afterwards. It might take a couple of years, but eventually someone is going to get that changed. And when that is reversed, everyone who's been convicted under it will have a chance to secure their freedom again, which could easily lead to a situation in which, yes, you massively increase the conviction rate for rape, and then 10 years later, a lot of people who were both innocently jailed and legitimate racists are now free. Yeah, that's the nature of the beast. Anyways, we shall be back. We shall probably, probably have Friday. We're going to have an interview on Friday? I believe we do. I'm not sure. Do we have Ed West or do we have um, the headmistress of uh, McKenna? Well, we'll have somebody. Somebody very interesting and somebody fascinating. Someone who isn't us, basically. Somebody who isn't us. But don't worry. Don't fret. Barring accidents, we will be back on Sunday with the Sunday miscellany. Well, accidents, illness. There's actually a couple of things, but barring that, we'll be back. Well, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I think people have noticed that illness can happen. That has, that has occurred to the people. But barring those, we'll see you. Stay safe. Mind yourselves. Enjoy the freedom. We'll talk to you Sunday. Bye-bye. All the best.